1: This is why Bloodstream Media produces podcasts, blogs, and other forms of content for patients, families, and clinicians impacted by rare and chronic diseases. Visit bloodstreammedia.com to learn more.
0: Hello, Rare fans. Welcome, welcome. We are entering a new year. 2022 is coming, and though I do want time to stop most days so I can enjoy the good moments just a little longer... I'm also very excited for what fresh new year brings and the change that occurs. I think you're going to be pretty stoked to meet today's guest. I am obsessed with her, and I'm coming back in my next life with a head of her hair. She has won a prestigious award for being Teacher of the Year in New York State. She's an author of the very moving memoir titled Loving You Big. She's the parent of three kiddos, one of which was diagnosed with Crude de Shaw. I know you're going to love her just as much as I do. Please enjoy my conversation with Leah Moore. Hi
1: Leah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here.
0: Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I was racing out of the house this morning with like a million things in my hand and my husband called out, "Have fun interviewing your new best friend." <laughs> and <laughs> it's so funny cuz as I was reading your book and laughing out loud every few minutes, I just kept telling my husband like, "Oh my god, she has to be my new best friend. We both share a love for like all the special things that happened in the eighties, musical yeah. theater. Oh. oh my gosh, like everything you were saying, Delilah. I was Delilah. just like, this lady. Why do they always live on the East Coast?
1: Oh, I mean, I know a lot about you, but I don't think I knew about the Delilah connection. And it, there's just very few of us out there. But she's. A I can hear lady. her voice in my head. <laughs> Me too. The opening. <laughs> That's amazing.
0: Oh my gosh. Well, yes, I'm so happy to have you here and to spread the word about your amazing book. It is like one of my new favorite books and it's going to be the new one I send to rare parents. It's really special. Thank you. Yeah, so Leah, just give me a little rundown. Tell me about your little girl and your family.
1: Yeah, um so I am a high school English and theater teacher in New York. And I live in Westchester, which is north of the city with my three kids, my husband. And I like to say her collection of wigs because that is how she processes her sensory needs through the world. And my daughter is 10. Her name is Jordan, and she has a rare diagnosis called Cretashah, which is a deletion of the fifth chromosome. And then I have twin boys who are now six. And they are healthy, vibrant little boys. And also they've put us through their own string of medical concerns. And one of those munchkins has a disability that's not named, other health impairments. And the other one um, has ITP, which is a rare autoimmune disease.
0: As I was reading your book, every chapter, I was like, no, no. Nothing more can happen to this (laughs) sweet angel. I swear to God, leave her alone. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I really (laughs) appreciated the humor that you threw in there in those situations. It's just so relatable and such a profound coping mechanism. I think we all use when we're raising medically complex kids and you just really expressed it so beautifully.
1: Thank you. I find it's easier than all the chocolate I actually want to consume. So (laughs) I try to rely on humor a little bit more, but it's definitely taxing.
0: Oh, man. So the first paragraph really just roped me in. It was so captivating. I'd love to know about your thoughts on storytelling in general and how it's such a great connector for especially families like ours, but people in general.
1: I could talk about storytelling as, as an entire dissertation. It's really what made me growing up feel like the person I was. I Whether it was through musicals or the books I was reading or writing, I loved escaping into other people's stories, creating worlds beyond myself. It's how I think I flexed my empathy muscle and was so privileged to be able to be exposed to so many different stories in my own home and through my schools. And it's what introduced me to my husband. We met in a graduate school program for theater and through storytelling and talking about all the different plays we were seeing and what we cared about, we realized our connection and fell in love. And as a teacher every day, it's my... Pleasure and I like to torture the 19, the 14 year olds with what stories I want them to be seeing and exploring. And, and for me, it is sort of this great equalizer because storytelling can be done in so many different modalities and it doesn't have to be based on ability level. It doesn't have to be specific to any language or any socioeconomic status. And I think the more stories we can put out into the world, people will either see themselves validated or get a window into the lives of other people. And therefore, we can create more inclusivity, more kindness. So it is the foundation of everything I believe in in my life's work, in my family, and my relationships. Mm.
0: Man, with my hands in my heart, I couldn't agree more with you, especially what you said about flexing your empathy muscle and how storytelling does that, and that you don't have to have the same skills or come from the same background or have the same language as anyone else to be able to do this.
1: Exactly. And I I practice that every day. I I have the opportunity to teach an adaptive theater class where many of the students are nonverbal. it's so incredible to talk about stories with students who don't have the access to language and words and it it's not a it's not a barrier. It is truly accessible for all. We just have to create more pathways for people to be able to find it. Yes, yes, we do.
0: We have to make the map. I love the insight that you share about how we as parents become so aware of nonverbal communication and like you were just talking about. I think that's so cool. You teach that class. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Would you say that as a teacher, I know you're trained, right? You're trained as a teacher to, I don't know, I feel like as a teacher, you actually have a little more training on kids with disabilities than anyone. Yeah. In some areas, but becoming a parent at the same time and then living on the opposite side of that and not really knowing anything about it. How did that collide and what did you learn about nonverbal communication?
1: I first realized the tension I felt. So the way I chose to start my book and where a lot of my own work has started with understanding my daughter's diagnosis was jealousy, that I love storytelling and I love words and I was raising a child that we were told may never have them and I didn't quite yet understand what I had previously just said about how storytelling and how communication can happen. And it's ironic because one of the things I studied actually in school was the study of proxemics and how nonverbal communication and all of these different ways that body language tells a message and shows relationships, I somehow couldn't apply it to The child in front of me. All I could see was she might not understand what I say, and I don't know if she'll ever talk to me. And I'm very upfront about that because I think there are so many messages that we receive as a society about what it means to raise a child with a disability. And I absorbed them without knowing it. And once I could begin to listen truly to the way she was communicating and realize that I did not need to rely on Those sort of false norms that I had been breathing in, it completely opened up my communication with my own child. I think it helped my teaching. I think it helped me communicate with my students. It certainly helps now that most of their faces are covered by masks and I'm just communicating with their eyebrows. That so much can be said without the spoken word. And that's really where I'm interested now in exploring and helping figure out different means to do so. Mm,
0: I love that. Something I'm really fascinated with uh, since becoming a parent to a kid who's nonverbal as well is my ability to have conversations with other people other than my son Mm -hmm. who are nonverbal and have full-blown conversations with people I've never met in a nonverbal fashion.
1: Yes, it's very transferable. You're right. Yeah. And wonderful. And I wrote about this, but I I sometimes want to wear My button that says, I get it. I understand. You know, if I meet somebody in a grocery store, I see somebody at the park and I realize I don't have to be quite so obvious about it. Just (laughs) even giving someone some space because they might have some sensory issues or something. I I speak that bigger language and I can help someone else even without having to, to name why.
0: Hmm. That kind of reminds me of a story in your book when you were in a waiting room of a well-known doctor's office that you visited with Jordan and there was a woman next to you with a newborn who was coming in to probably, I don't know, brace herself for some bad news. And you said all the things in your head that you would say to her as a parent, like, I get it and I know how you're feeling and don't worry, there's happiness here too. But you didn't say anything to her. You just looked at her and you had a nonverbal understanding smile, and both of you connected.
1: Yeah, that story always makes me cry. <laughs> it made me cry. It made me cry. Yeah. Because we all
0: get that from both sides so vividly. Yes. And there's just such compassion in that.
1: Yes, thank you. And it's, it's what I love about what you're doing as well is we all just want to feel seen and feel like we're connected. And it's quite an isolating world that we're in, especially in the rare world. Sometimes there's really not a lot of people to connect with. And to be able to have that back and forth with other parents and other caregivers is so fundamental.
0: You, you talked about how you were going to love the disability out of Jordan. How have you redefined that? And was that the inspiration for your book?
1: So it wasn't actually I started writing actually because my students were doing a personal narrative assignment and they were struggling with the assignment. And I said, I'll just show you how to do it. I'll just, you know, add, add an example. And I meant to write something really silly. And what poured out of me was the the piece about the irony of, of language of how I have words and this child doesn't. And I read it to them and cried that like ugly, deep cry. Which is a really awkward thing to do when you're, you know, second period in front of a bunch of ninth graders. And they're like, are you okay? Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. And I, um, I realized I was just holding on to all these, of these stories. And, um, it wasn't until the book was maybe a year out from publishing that I was sitting with my therapist because I love mental health counseling for anyone who's navigating difficult circumstances. And she said, I don't think that you've quite come to terms with Jordan's diagnosis. And I said, but I just wrote a whole book about how I did. So I I had to, I did. (laughs) No, I did. Chapters one through 47 tell you that. And in doing that digging with her, I realized I was still trying to quote unquote, fix it. I was still trying to layer the therapies and the mindsets and even, you know, talk to my different family members about what could be adapted about the world, how Jordan could fit into the world better. And the end of the book became this new part, which I call the ladybug warriors about how people, how the world needs to needs to do the adapting. And I truly didn't learn that about myself until probably two or three years ago. And I, I make a point to say, I am someone who is trained in this work and raised in such an empathetic, kind home. And it wasn't about kindness. It was about those biases that I had breathed in. It was about the fact that these were kids I wasn't seeing in my neighborhood. That's why the 80s come up. It was a different time. And I think the storytelling of that is so important. What are the messages we're seeing in the TV shows that we are turning on, in the movies that we're watching, I'm teaching of mice and men, spoiler alert, giant ending of <laughs> killing the person with an intellectual disability. And if we don't talk about what that perpetuates in society, then more people are going to keep absorbing what I absorbed. So a lot of my work now is, is owning that and naming that and not feeling guilty about that, but knowing that there is so much more work to be done.
0: Oh, my gosh. Yes. And I just think that it's such a funny mix of things that we're actually having this conversation right now, because this has been so on my heart for a few months. And especially with the new year coming, I just I've been trying to figure out a way to really mobilize this army, if you will, and not just as us, but as them. Right. Mm -hmm. And create an inclusion revolution for real and make allies. And I love the term ladybugs that you mentioned, because we can't do this alone. And it's not our job. It's all of our jobs. That's
1: right. And it's a conversation that's echoing in larger communities, whether we're talking about race or ability or sexual identity or gender. or This is a big conversation. And unfortunately, for all of those conversations, usually it takes someone who said, oh, I get it personally. I want to start making those changes. Someone like us who has a child and now wants to activate this conversation. But what we really need to get momentum is people across the aisle of people saying, I don't have a child like this. I don't know anyone like this, but I care about this cause. And here's how I can support this mission. And it's not just being kind. It's truly what inclusion looks like. Because being in a school, I can tell you students with cognitive disabilities or or physical disabilities are not being outwardly bullied. That's I wouldn't say it's over, but it's different now. But they're also not entirely included still. And that's a big statement. I don't mean everywhere and in all places, but it is a pattern in the work that I'm doing where I hear people say, I want to learn how to create inclusive environments for my child so that they can take dance class. They can play baseball. They can sit at the cafeteria table and and use their devices to communicate in whatever way they can. So I'd love to be a part of your revolution. I'll make us buttons.
0: Oh my gosh. Send me a button. I love a button. Yes. No, it's so true. I
1: love how you put that.
0: Sure, they're not being bullied because we can't really use that language Mm. anymore and have that outward anger. It's not appropriate and it's condemned. But what is still happening is the otherness. And while they might not all be in separate contained classrooms and walked between the halls anymore, it's still there, right? It's still something that you see rather than it just being there and being normal and a part of diversity in your class.
1: Absolutely. And A recent study just showed that more people are likely to learn about a disability from a book than they are from a personal interaction, which is more about why we need our stories and our literature to reflect reality and not just these stereotypes that exist.
0: Oh, well, there's so many things you could dig into on why they aren't getting it in person. I know. But I want to circle back to... That's a different day. That's a different day to the ladybugs, right? Yes. What are some ideas that you have that we can use or do to create more opportunities for people to become allies, for people to have this conversation and stand up and choose to be on board because it's important.
1: Yes, yeah, so I have to I have to make sure I give credit. I heard this amazing science writer write about this this idea in the car about how the ladybugs eat away so what's beautiful can thrive. And of course, her name is escaping me right now, but we can add it.
0: <laughs> yep, we can add it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, but so so for me, the question is exactly what you asked. How can we do that? How can we help sort of eat away at the negativity and that let what can thrive? It starts with avoiding staring at the playground. It starts with asking, can I help you? Do you need anything? What's your name? Would you like to play with me? Because there is so much staring and looking at children who might have physical supports to help them move through the world. For my daughter, it was walkers and orthotics up her legs and wearing diapers beyond the age that she was typically supposed to. And a lot of parents would sort of turn their children away, almost as if saying, don't bother them. Oh, don't don't ask. Don't worry about it. And I think simply by saying, hi, what's your name? Would you like to play with me? The parent of that child knows how to help navigate that situation. Oh, she doesn't have words, but let me explain. Let me tell you her name and we'd love to play with you in whatever way we can access that moment. I will be the first person to say, no, thank you. I don't need anything. We're good. I don't need anything. Thanks. And I think it's about knowing the people in your lives who might be having families like ours and figuring out where you can alleviate some of that stress. So recently, my entire family had COVID, which was terrifying, and people didn't give me the option. It was, I'm going to the grocery store. These are the things I'm going to buy you unless you tell me otherwise. And it made it easier for me to say yes. This is the soup that I'm delivering at your house. This is the random thing that Amazon is sending to you because you can't get to the thermometer. Because if you ask me, despite all my advocacy work, I'm going to keep saying no, because I don't want to bother you. I don't want to be that family. So I think when we combine both of those things, and again, this could be an entire different conversation about self-care as well, but I think those start on the local level. And and the last piece about this is that when we look at change, we can do it personally, we can do it in our community, or we can do it with big structures. And if we start with the big, big structures, we don't see enough progress that we get discouraged. We don't wanna make those changes. But even on a personal level for someone listening to say, what stories am I reading to my kids? Is there ever anybody of a different ability in any of those stories? How are we depicting this in our home? What conversations are we having? And starting locally, I think can start to create more of those Ladybug warrior. Mm.
0: Yes. Yes to all of that. (laughs) I was having a conversation with my girlfriend a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about the stairs and the questions because we were all sharing. We were in this big, beautiful hotel and it was Christmas time and my kid was there in his wheelchair and then all of these other kids. And we were having the conversation about stairs and questions. And I was saying to her, you know, this is our life everywhere we go. And quite frankly, This isn't my job. It's your job. It's not my job to always parent your kids at the park and at the grocery store and here and there. It's all of our jobs. And just because I know the answers and I know how to soften the landing for everyone involved, it's not just my job that kid could potentially shift its entire interaction by just coming up and saying hi, because you talk to them at home about it, Mm -hmm. rather than coming up and looking with their mouth open and not even hearing me when I stop them to say hi, because Mm -hmm. I noticed them staring.
1: We all say the same hi. Hi. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Totally. (laughs) I have the same one. Yes. Yes. And that goes back to what you're just saying. It it's it's that they piece too. How can people who aren't living this day in and day out join the conversation? And I think the high is the very first step. Hundred percent. And so simple.
0: So simple, and it's so fun to be nice, and it's so fun to be calm and happy. You know, like it just—it's so much easier. I know. In all the ways. <laughs> yes. I'd love to know your experience or a specific story about the profound impact of kindness and how much of a difference it makes.
1: Can I repeat one that's in the book? That's my favorite. Is that cheating? It's your book. Absolutely. One of my favorite stories is the random lady in Target. So Jordan, like many children, fixate. And once we latch onto something, it's very difficult to get off of it. So in this particular instance, I should mention my daughter has a full on relationship with target that at any moment of the day she is talking about target and uses it <laughs> it is one of the words that she does say frequently we should we should target so we we targeted and she was looking for a particular toy that was a reward for i think she was trying to get out of a nighttime diaper and they didn't have it and she had a full on meltdown in the middle of the toy aisle in target and she was at the point where I couldn't physically pick her up anymore. And I truly did not know how to get her out of the store. And I was over all of the staring and the people physically stepping over us. And I, I was—I did all the things. I was lying on the floor with her. I was singing songs. It was nice that I had a theater background because I truly did every single thing I could think of. And we were stuck there. There's also no reception at our Target, so I had no way to call for any physical backup. And I finally said, I I think someone's going to think you're for sale. And a woman popped around the corner and said, are you for sale? Which (laughs) is a bold move for a stranger. And somehow it, it made Jordan perk up and she shook her head. And the lady said, I'm going to buy you. And it made Jordan laugh. And once Jordan starts laughing, it releases all the tension from her body. It means I could pick her up again. And then I could start to move her through the store. And this woman kept helping her giggle as we walked from the back corner of the store all the way out the door. And I had tears streaming down my face (laughs) of gratitude and i i said this woman has either she must have been a teacher or a grandparent she knew she there she is in our community because there was no way or she's just an amazing woman and i got all the way in the car and i i like waved and waved she had no idea how grateful i was and that i dedicated an entire chapter of my book to her but a lot of people have read that chapter and said i would never think to bother that family i would never think to say how can I help you? And it's helping people say, maybe I should just say to someone who's having a really hard time in public, do you need anything? Can I help you now? Because the parents will say, yes, I actually do. Or no, we got this. This is our normal. And I have a plan. But I love that target lady. And I'm so grateful to her because I think I'd still be living in that target. To this
0: day. Oh my gosh. Yes. I love that Target lady too. And I have had three memories of almost the exact same thing come to mind. Yeah. And they are angels on earth. So nice. Yeah. And I love the idea of. Telling it as a story, right? Like giving people on the outside a place and a texture and a moment in time rather than just giving you a checklist of things you can do to help, things you can do to be an ally, things you can do to be a better human being and be (laughs) kind. But to actually communicate it in the form of a story where everyone can relate to it in some way, even if they don't have a kid with a disability or a family member. But what if they had a panic attack? What if they sprained their ankle, can't walk anymore? Yeah, you, 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 you tell these stories so people can identify themselves in them, no matter where they're coming at it from. And that is the power, I think, that is just so profound from the delivery. Thank
1: you. There's nothing like it. That's the, the English teacher me wanted to make sure that it was all through storytelling because we have these universal truths underneath it. So you don't even have to be a parent to understand fear or to understand jealousy or to understand pure joy because the emotion is what resonates across people, not the circumstances. It's probably very rare that someone's child, I don't know, had an accident in the middle of a Costco and we had to look for diapers. I mean, that's a very rare story, but to be flustered in public, I mean, everyone I know has one of those. So I agree with you. And that was a very purposeful choice in the construction of my book because I think that those stories help the message.
0: It was the absolute right choice. Thank you. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) really, I had a smile on my face the entire time. Thank you. Because of the way that you structured it, it was so refreshing and so unique and also it's so on trend, right? Like this idea of expressing things and learning things from storytelling is... I'm just so glad people are into it now because it's something that's been around forever. Yes. And it makes the most sense.
1: It's the oldest art form there is. So it,
0: you know, taps into our cores. I'd love to know about ways or your thoughts in general on how we balance our joy and also the extreme difficulty level and chronic stress and all of the other things that. Come with this life.
1: Me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I uh, after all the kids and my husband had COVID, I I went to therapy and said, "Show me where on the body I can just unscrew the the button and let all of the fear pour out." And she said, "Oh, if it was only that easy." <laughs> I personally believe that if we only stay in the negative, which is so easy to stay in it can move to color everything. And the way that I think about it is from that beautiful movie, is it Inside Out? The Pixar movie um, with the feelings. And if you, if I don't want to spoil the movie, but it's been out for a long time, but if they hold on to the ball of emotions, if sadness held on to the ball of emotion long enough, it eventually moved back into a more joyful memory. And I think that I am currently trying to figure out What is it about real fear, real sadness when we're talking about medical issues? It is so terrifying. I still to this day have to turn off any television show where there's something happening to a child because it brings me back to every waiting room I've been in. But if I don't name the fear, if I don't have an outlet for that fear, it just starts to permeate every part of who I am. And I grew up this really effusive kid. I was like, just like a burst of little energy. And it was starting to change my person. It was starting to change who I was. And motherhood already does that because we're exhausted. And mothering a child with a disability already does that. And then mothering a rare disability and then twins and then, you know, all the layers of it. And I, I had to really work at how do I let it out? So for me, it's through writing. It's through connecting to the people in my circle who I don't have to feel judgment from. Sometimes it's through watching Netflix and eating like a quesadilla on the couch, but I have to figure out how to let it out. For other people listening, that's the work. Where where can you let it out safely? Because if we don't, we don't get to find the humor behind the stories. And there is still a lot of humor in pretty terrifying things. I, I remember when I was thinking about my son awaiting to find out if he has cancer and trying to pray to him and then thinking like, maybe, maybe God speaks in iambic pentameter. Maybe this isn't the right language to be praying in. I mean, that's one of my darkest days, but I can still access that part of myself. I don't quite know the formula how I just know it's imperative.
0: That was so beautifully said. And I hope People listening, just go back and rewind that. And I'm hooking my arm in your harm as your new forced best friend yes. because me too, girl. Oh, it's not I, forced.
1: It's very, it's very <laughs> happening. Yeah.
0: I talk about on the podcast that there was this moment where I looked in the mirror and I didn't recognize myself anymore because I had let the fear and the trauma and the stress and the shame and all of the things kind of just get in front of who I was, and I knew there had I had to do something about it. And I love what you said about it. It reminds me of, there's this woman, Susan David, who has a book called Emotional Agility. And when I read that book, it really made me reframe how I thought about emotions and to use them as information. And what is this emotion teaching me? Why is it here? Rather than letting it just consume me and change my day.
1: Yes. And I don't know if it's tapped into still one of those biases I absorbed that, individuals with disabilities are a burden to society. And that perhaps if I talked about how tired I was, people would accidentally think that I was saying, oh, because this is so hard. And that's not what I'm saying. But I, I think that if I were to keep digging, maybe this is in book two, that one of the reasons I didn't always feel like I could say that is because I didn't want people to get the wrong impression. It wasn't a part of the I wish this disability away part of me anymore. It was just, this is really hard. And that's okay. And that's real.
0: Totally. I found just through listening to people's stories that a lot of the time they come to the table scared about that exact thing. Yeah. And, and just the fear of being judged too, right? And when they can realize that everybody has the same emotions, like we all have those things, yeah. there aren't people who are better or stronger or anything than you. Cause I promise you, they all have those emotions, no yeah. matter who they are. Agreed. Okay, well, I—I mean, I could just talk to you for a million years, and I I just want to pick your brain forever. But we can continue
1: this off air, so (laughs) yes, we do. (laughs) I
0: think we should totally do an episode about your ideas on self-care, and I also really kind of want to touch on the relationship stuff. You did bring up a lot of a lot of stories about how you and your husband really take the time to tend your marriage and how you had to be intentional about doing that and yeah i just i would love to know a little bit of your thoughts on that and why it's important for you and by doing so how has it changed maybe your stress level or just general joy
1: that was something i didn't quite see happening because i like to think of the days of diagnosis and all the medical fears as the triage days so where do i need to put out the fire first and one of those fires was not my husband because he was able to take care of himself. It didn't ever resonate as a fire. And I realized, oh, we're actually just raising each other's children. Like our conversations are about milk and epilepsy medication. And like, do you want to watch this episode of Schitt's Creek with me? It wasn't anything more than that. And I, for people who, who read the book or read the book, um, I was obsessed with my husband before we became a couple. It was like an active mission to, to get him to realize that I was the love of his life. And there are days I'm like, oh, right. We're still those people. And that would be fun to remember what those people felt like. So I think it's a combination of three things. One is I tended to take on too much by myself. This mother protective. I got it. Don't worry about it. You stay in your lane. I'll stay in mine. And I use the analogy now, like if my boat is sinking, I want him to be in it with me. Like we're both taking an oar and that I don't have to do these things by myself and figure out how to ask for what I need Two, we have an entire life outside of our children that we have jokes before they existed. We have memories before they happened and maybe our daughter will live with us forever, which is a lot of people talk about their empty nesting days, which we won't. We don't get to daydream about in the same way. But if we can remember who those people were beforehand, just like I was saying, I was a full person beforehand, that really helps us. And three, we're learning to tap into each other's humor. So this is the most ridiculous example, but I love the actor Michael B. Jordan. And we spent an entire day only communicating through Michael B. Jordan memes. And it was, An amazing day because it's quite challenging. Like, how do you say I'm coming home from work using a Michael B. Jordan (laughs) meme? And it made me laugh so hard. Also, it was really fun to get all of those Michael B. Jordan memes. And now it was like, challenge accepted. What can we do next? That had nothing to do with all of the real circumstances happening. So when I put sort of the frivolity of life and the levity of life, plus who we were before, plus Bringing him on with me when I say we have an IEP meeting and we need to do this together, we can function again in our marriage. So that's my formula to a happy marriage.
0: I love it. And I couldn't agree more, especially about remembering who you are, right? You are your own person. My husband and I do it with puns. We can go forever Uh, on puns. And yeah, you get just such fun joy and you remember your relationship and you remember all of it. And it just makes it that much sweeter. It and does.
1: It's really special. Yeah. She's like we did this together. So it's yes. necessary.
0: It reminds me of one more thing you talked about in your book when you mentioned about how you want the boat to go down together. When someone said to you that your job was to just be Jordan's mom. Mm-hmm.
1: Can you talk about that? Yes. That was our family trainer. And this was, I think we were up to 28 hours a week of therapy. It was an intense schedule. And I am a type A person, I get all of my boxes checked off by the end of every day. And I do it, you know, in color coded format. And I was like, Oh, I'll just learn how to be an OT and a PT and a speech therapist and an ABA therapist and like, bring it. I can do all of that. Plus teach my job. And she said, yeah, no, that's, that's not actually what you're supposed to do. There are other people who are experts at that. And you are truly the only mother that she has. And I need you to sit with her and snuggle her and read her her favorite bedtime story and sing her the lullabies that you sang when she was in your stomach, because you are the only person that will connect to her in that way. And I needed someone to, to point that out so simply and cleanly and give me permission, because when I was reading with her, I was trying to do approximations of what the cow says, and I was trying to get her pincher grasp to turn the pages and... Once I released all of that, I just sort of snuggled into like the shape of her nose and how cute her little chin was when I made her giggle by tickling her on her belly. And it connected back to our earlier conversation about that nonverbal cues and made me feel better. It made me feel like a more successful mom because that I could do. That was unique to me. And I love that piece of advice. Mm. I tell it to everybody.
0: Yes. Rewind. Rewind again. Uh, We're just getting some homework for life from Leah today. It's true. I think we all know what it is to just be an administrator and we forget to just be their parent. Well, everybody, I hope you love Leah as much as I do. She's at lovingyoubig.com. Find her book. Whatever you do, make that your newest read of the year. Get it at your local bookshop first. It's amazing. You'll laugh and you'll cry and you will feel so scene and you'll see yourself in so many of her stories and you're just doing amazing things and i am so stoked that i met you and you're stuck you're stuck with me now so
1: buckle up leah i feel the same way i love it i've been i've been fangirling from behind the scenes for quite a long time and i know a lot of people who listen to you so i'm giving like a lot of shout outs from here and I want to say for anyone listening, a lot of people say, well, I don't I don't know how to tell my story. And I, don't, I have things to say. I have something on my website in the Spotlight series where you can either nominate yourself or someone else and I will write a story about them and you can gift it to them to help other people feel seen or help yourself feel seen because I think storytelling is the most beautiful gift you can give and it's free and I'm happy to share all of my extra words to help bring that into someone else's life. So just, you can find it on the website.
0: Mm, I love that. Yeah. Check out our spotlight series and having a story uh, written for you from a nationally awarded teacher of the year in New York state, pretty big deal. It's going to be a good story guaranteed. Thanks, Leah. I'm I'm so thrilled that you were my guest. I had just a great time talking to you and I can't wait to share it with everyone. Me too. Thank you so much. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear,
1: It's <laughs> <laughs>